you've got your phone on, you've got your desk light on, what have you, as you're doing your nighttime presentations and whatnot, uh, then it could, especially if you do it night after night after night, a one-off is no big deal, but one night after night, it's going to tell your brain, oh, white light, don't make melatonin, keep that cortisol up keep that norepinephrine and epinephrine, keep the energy rolling. And then you go to relax and not a lot of people can just flip the switch and go, okay, I'm done now, time to go to bed. And it can be a real problem. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of. Hey, Betty, welcome back to to Better with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, your host. Dr. Stephanie Estima, and I bring you this week my late night DJ voice because I have just spent the last week without a voice and it is coming back to me now. And whenever I lose my voice, which is very, very rare, but when I do and it starts to come back, I have this very, (laughs) what I like to lovingly call my late night DJ voice. So enjoy. And my conversation this week is with Dr. Carrie Jones. Now, Dr. Jones has been on the pod before. We'll make sure that there's a clickable link for you in the show notes to check that out. And at the end of our last conversation, we had geeked out so hard on estrogen metabolism and testosterone metabolism that I said, we're going to have you back for round two, and we're going to talk about cortisol. And talk about cortisol, we did. This was recorded live in front of my private membership, my Hello Betty membership. So what I like to call HBHQ, Hello Betty Headquarters. And we will often have expert guests. And in this, in our conversation with Carrie, what you're hearing is the recorded part where we were talking about cortisol and stress and perimenopause and all the things. And then we stopped it afterwards and we had um, audience questions for Dr. Jones. Now, in case you don't know who Dr. Jones is, she is an internationally recognized speaker, consultant, and educator on the topic of women's health and hormones. She graduated from the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon, and she also completed a two-year residency in women's health, hormones, and endocrinology. She later graduated from Grand Canyon University's Master of Public Health program, and she's recently become board certified through the American Board of Naturopathic Endocrinology, and she is currently the medical director for Precision Analytical, which is the makers of the Dutch test. Now, today, we talked, as I mentioned, cortisol. Before we even started our conversation with cortisol, we talked about the mitochondria because cortisol production, as you will very soon find out, starts and ends in the mitochondria. So how we can upregulate our mitochondrial health through lifestyle factors, through supplementation. We talked about the metabolites, the regular cortisol pattern, and then the metabolites. So we talked about cortisone and cortisol ratios and why those are really important. We talked about autoimmunity and the HPA axis, and we talked about how stress can impact our menstrual cycle. If you are perimenopausal, how stress can impact you. And if you are menopausal, how it can impact you as well. And we talked about specific conditions that we often, both of us often see. I often see if there's going to be some cortisol dysregulation, it's often that we will see high cortisol in the evening or low cortisol in the morning. So we talked about those particular conditions. And then we talked about um, some of the the things that you can do to rectify 
either of those scenarios. And without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Carrie Jones. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause, and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause, and there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water, and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. All right, all right. Well, I am so excited. Um, As uh, Giovanni mentioned, we are crossing the 1 million download mark, and I thought that it would be the most appropriate to bring back one of our top guests, right? So I was telling you, Carrie, before we started. So when we look at our top 10 chart, I believe you are number four of all uh, podcasts. (laughs) So it is such an honor. I mean, you're also just a really good friend. I have massive amounts of respect for you and the work that you're putting out in the world. And I thought, well, let's just do a whole big nerd sermon on where we, you know, the first time we got together, you and I were talking about androgens and androgen metabolism, you know, metabolism pathways and estrogen metabolism. And we got so far deep into the uh, weeds. We'll make sure that that's in that episodes in the show notes for you to, um, to access and listen to. But I had prepared this whole thing on cortisol, which we never got to. <laughs> and I said, well, what? Like, and we actually ended it. And I said, okay, let's get you back on. We'll do a thing on cortisol. So I thought for our conversation today, we could talk and not just cortisol, but all things sympathetic. So all things to do, we can talk about noradrenaline and adrenaline or epinephrine, uh, norepinephrine. And then we can talk a little bit about how this influences women in particular. So through the arc of her life, um, we want to talk about how stress and the sympathetic dominance can really affect her. And then I want to cut out certain categories of women. So I want to talk about perimenopausal women. It's usually whenever we talk about anything to do with the menstrual cycle, the first question that I always get is what about women in perimenopause? Mm -hmm. And then the second question I get is what about women in menopause? So we want to make sure that we're considering all types of, um, all types of women. And of course we're talking about women, we're talking about the chromosomal sex, right? So we're talking about the, um, when we say female, we're talking about humans with ovaries. So we're being, you know, as inclusive as we can talking about some of the, um, biological, um, rhythms, um, that the chromosomal sex of, of female has. So first Carrie, welcome, welcome back. <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like we need to like raise a toast to almost a million. Like that's like, that is amazing. And in the next two weeks, that's so fantastic. So yeah, you work your butt off and I, your book is amazing and your information's fire. So congratulations. To Thank you. you. Thank that you, is, Carrie. But I'm so honored to be here. Oh, thank you. It's always, and it's so meaningful when you have people that you respect kind of reflect that back to you. So I receive that uh, with grace and love. Thank you. Um, so let's, let's pick up where, uh, we were last time and let's talk a little bit about, um, cortisol. And I think we're, a good place to start might be mechanistically talking about how cortisol is made. And I want to, I want to bring in the mighty mitochondria into this conversation because I think by now, most of us realize cortisol equals stress, right? A little bit of it, hormesis, good, too much of it, chronic, low grade, bad. Uh, What I don't think people recognize is that cortisol there's a central role for the mitochondria uh, in cortisol production. So I'll let you uh, take that and speak to some of the mechanisms and feel free to get like, we'll have diagrams and stuff in the show notes. So let's get super nerdy here. Uh, Geek out. Let's geek out. Let's do it right. Um, let's, Let's talk about cortisol, the mitochondria and the significance and the interplay between the two. Absolutely. And I think, first of all, just, just as a quick recap, um, it, it starts in the brain. And so is whenever, it's, which you talk about all the time, and I'm sure everyone knows, 
when you encounter a stress, no matter what it is, whether it's an, an infection, a virus, a mold, a crappy text message, something that's happening when you're driving, um, your brain, specifically, there's a part of your brain called the amygdala sort of sets off the cascade. The amygdala is your fear-based emotion center. And so when it feels fear, when it thinks you should be fearful, it runs to the part of your brain called the hypothalamus and it says, panic, release cortisol, release adrenaline, norepinephrine, uh, epinephrine, which are known as noradrenaline and adrenaline. And, and then we get this whole kickoff. And so the signaling goes right down to the adrenal glands. But as you said, when it gets into the adrenal glands, specifically, it starts in the mitochondria of the adrenal glands. And so we think about our mitochondria as, oh, our mitochondria, there are cellular powerhouses. That's what we all learned in high school. They make ATP. They do. They are also the first and last step of cortisol production. And so everything from our brain health, even things like oxygenation to our brain. So making sure we're sitting up straight, we've got our shoulders out of our ears, that we're not mouth breathers, we don't have sleep apnea, all the blood flow is good, all the way down to the health of our mitochondria is so critical for cortisol production and our entire stress response. Great. And we can, we can integrate this with a little, uh, you know, ditty, if you will, with cholesterol, right? Because we know that cholesterol, uh, well, we first, as you said, it starts in the brain, right? So we have this like ACTH, uh, adrenal cortical, uh, Stimulating, yep. <laughs> stimulating hormone. And that gets into the circulation. ACTH binds to the adrenal glands, as you said, and then we have cholesterol, right? Cholesterol. Yes. It's, it's already right there, ready to go. We have these lipid droplets right there. And so the first, very first step is taking these lipid droplets, cholesterol, and converting them into pregnenolone. That's the very first step. It's actually the first step of all of your sex hormone production. So testosterone, estradiol, progesterone, and cortisol. And it happens right in the mitochondria. Right. And so this is, um, we're going to do a little bit of myth debunking here as well, because often you'll, you'll see um, some practitioners will talk about this idea of a pregnenolone steel. Oh, yeah. Right. And, you know, we're, and I was saying to you in the, in the pre-chat, we're going to talk about adrenal fatigue as well. Um, <laughs> but there's no and, and you can speak to this a little bit, but there's no stealing, right? Like mm -hmm. mitochondria, we don't steal things mm -mm. from like mitochondria doesn't steal from her sister right beside her. And, yep. you know, and we have, as you mentioned, the cholesterol is right there mm -hmm. and, and ready to go. So yep. can you speak to a little bit about, um, you know, when we have pregnenolone, so we have, you know, pregnenolone um, goes into the, in, into the uh, endoplasmic reticulum, right? Mm -hmm. Where you, that, yeah. as you said, where you make all your sex hormones, produces progesterone. This is why you, you can't necessarily just give pregnenolone, right? Mm -hmm. Like as a, as a therapeutic, if, you know, if you're, if you're noticing, you know, someone has low uh, sex hormone production, sometimes, you know, you sort of say, well, let me just look upstream from that pathway and, oh, pregnenolone is there. So let me just give her pregnenolone and then that's going to increase the, you know, in, right. increase the sex steroid. Uh, can you speak to why that may be not necessarily the appropriate um, path to take from a therapeutic? This, yeah. The steroid pathway is on an eight and a half by 11 chart. Well, our, by our measurements. Right. And, um, it's two, it's, it's all of the cells drawn out in one pathway. And so physiologically, what actually happens is, is just what we said. So the, the cholesterol turns into pregnenolone in the cell, in the mitochondria. So if you're an adrenal cell, a itty bitty tiny little cell, and you're the mitochondria in there, you're not stealing from the mitochondria in your ovaries, in, in one of your ovarian cells. Because what commonly people will say is, oh, cortisol is stealing, it's diverting to making progesterone. There's this, the mitochondria is like reaching over and grabbing out of the, the ovaries. Now, it's not physically possible. As far as we know, it's, it happens in the cell of the gland, be it adrenal or ovary, and, and then it moves forward from there. What really is occurring is at the brain level. So if you have a lot of stress, cortisol, then cortisol at the brain level can change your signaling down to your ovaries, which will affect the signaling on how you produce estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, whether you ovulate or not, what have you. So I have had people say, well, I've taken pregnenolone and I feel better. It's at the brain. Pregnenolone is calming. 
it uh, it converts into something called aloe, A-L-L-O, not the plant, but A-L-L-O. Aloe binds to our calming receptors known as GABA, GABA-A, and helps us prevent meltdowns and anxiety and irrationality. So you feel better, therefore you're calmer, you're more parasympathetic, you're less sympathetically stressed out, and then it can help the downstream effect. So there's no reaching, there's no stealing, there's no stealthiness um, because it's within the mitochondria of the cell of the gland. Right. All right. So we we know now, hopefully, that there that there's an importance to the mitochondria for the health and well-being of uh, of every individual, but particularly, of course, we're focusing our conversation here around women. So let's talk a little bit about, and we'll, we'll come back to solutions. I want to make sure that everybody on this call tonight, we are going to talk solutions, um, but I want to pre-frame this with some good science so that we can, you know, it'll, it may very well answer a lot of the how-to, right? Like part of the podcast, you you know, part of the you know secret goal here is not to just have soldiers for me telling you like how to do this and how to do that. But if I give you the science and you understand it, then you can be a general, right? Then you can make the decision for yourself. So we'll get to the how-to, but we'll pre-frame it with some good um, hardy science. So let's talk a little bit about the circadian rhythm of cortisol. So we know cortisol starts and ends in the mitochondria, mm-hmm. but it also follows a regular diurnal pattern. Let's mm-hmm. look at let's look at what that what that should look like optimally. I always say uh, cortisol is like the sun and melatonin is like the moon. And so in the morning, when you open your eyes and light comes in, this entirely natural process kicks off and it's known as the cortisol awakening response. Within the first 30 minutes of you opening your eyes and becoming conscious, your cortisol shoots up. It's supposed to, it's natural, it's normal. It shoots up Uh, and then gradually declines through the rest of the day. So I will sometimes describe it like one of those old school slides. You have to climb up to the top and then you can slide down. That's what your cortisol does. You go up and then gradually through the day, you go down. Now, a lot of people, unfortunately, don't do that. They either don't go up or they go up, their slide spins up at night or they're a flatline slide, but you should have healthy cortisol in the morning and go down the rest of the day, which is known as your circadian rhythm. Right. And you just described the cortisol awakening response as well, right? So it's mm-hmm. that peak in the morning mm-hmm. um, that we get within that 30 minutes or so of waking. And, you know, in the intro, we'll talk about uh, you know, all your qualifications. One of them is being the medical director for Precision Analytical, which is the makers of the Dutch test. And that's actually one of the things that, you know, when you have a patient taking a, uh, uh, when you're looking at samplings through the day, you know, one of the things we always make, t- make sure to tell our patients is make sure like it can't be an hour. Like you can't like brush your teeth and get your hair all done. It's like, you got to take the test within 30 minutes because if you miss that window, then your, your testing is going to be skewed as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I understand people uh, will freak out. They're like, oh my gosh, but I don't want my cortisol high in the morning. Isn't cortisol bad? Doesn't cortisol put on belly fat? Like, well, cortisol gets a really bad rap as, as we know. I mean, cortisol is really important, not only for how we manage stress, but in particular, our blood sugar balance. Mm. Um, if cortisol yeah. had a resume, the number one thing it would be on there was I manage glucose. That's what it does. Uh, and, and it helps, uh, monitor or mitigate inflammation. And so in the morning that shoot up in cortisol and to a healthy level is because you've been fasting all night long. And so the body's like, here, I don't know when you're going to eat. So let me help you. Let me, let me give you some glucose to help. And you've been sleeping all night long. So let me kick in some of your anti-inflammatory so that you don't wake up, um, feeling honestly like crap. And it may take 30 to 45 minutes. You may wake up feeling kind of stiff and achy and then it goes away. That's that rise in cortisol that can really help. And it helps convert you from conscious, what we say conscious to alert. And so my cheater question is always the same. Um, How long does it take you to feel fully alert in the morning without caffeine? Because it should ideally take 30 to 45 minutes in a normal, healthy functioning circadian rhythm, knowing this awakening response. But most people will respond to me, well, I need about a cup or two of coffee and about an hour or two to get going. And then I feel alert. I'm like, oh, you have a cortisol issue because that's not historically how the body is designed. The body is designed to have the cortisol peak to get your morning started right. 
Yeah. And it's, it's almost like that mug, right? It's like, don't talk to me until I've had my yes. coffee. That's, if that's you, then there may, there may be a cortisol issue. Yes. And I think you bring up a really important point. You mentioned the immune system. And I think that this is important when we look at autoimmunity and, and the frequency, the rate at which it happens in female, the female population, mm-hmm. you know, part of that is due to our cortisol response. And as you said, it's a counter regulatory hormone. It counteracts mm-hmm. inflammation. Mm-hmm. So when we have, for example, I mean, we all do this every day. We all make, you know, cancer cells. We all make autoimmune, like these, they're mistakes that happen, but you know, 99.9% of the time, you know, the autoimmune cells are checked. You know, they're ma- we make sure that they're, you know, before they're released out into the, into the body, they're checked to make sure that they're okay. If you don't have that pulse in cortisol in the morning, yep. You know, we often will see, uh, or I've had uh, patients report that they're, you know, women with hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's, it's worse for them in the morning. Like they Mm -hmm. feel puffy, joints are killing them. And Mm -hmm. to your point, like it just takes them that much longer to kind of get up and running. And it's not, it's because the cortisol is not doing its job. It's not bringing down that inflammation or checking like that central tolerance around checking for um, those autoimmune um, antibodies. And which is really unfortunate because a lot of people, when you ask about their autoimmune symptoms, they'll say, I wake up with, I wake up feeling puffy. I wake up hurting. I wake up so tired. Um, I wake up feeling thyroid or whatever it is. I wake up, you know, with RA, I wake up with joint stuff and, um, cortisol, as you said, plays such a big role there. And, uh, even the, the further development of autoimmune, Um, maybe you don't have autoimmune, but if you've been going through a lot and, um, which is what we'll discuss later, which is burnout, but is if you've got burnout and you have sort of a flatlined cortisol, your risk for developing autoimmune could go up because you don't have the ability to kill the cells that are accidentally formed autoimmune in your body. So like you said, that pulse of cortisol does a whole lot. Yeah. So important. It's just, you know, we, we often, and and I'm glad that we're talking about this and hopefully, you know, nailing the head in the coffin around this idea that, you know, cortisol has, there's a reason for it, right? Mm -hmm. Just like there's a reason for insulin. You know, these things are demonized often. Estrogen is another one, cholesterol, like we, Mm -hmm. these things are demonized um, in these little sound bites that I think we misinform often, you know, marketing, you know, marketing, uh, you know, managers where they push out (laughs) these little, like easy to digest sound bites. You really, miss the nuance. Like you need cortisol in the morning. You don't want it in the evening, right? Yep, absolutely. All right. Let's talk a little bit about, um, cortisone, um, and the ratio between, or the, the, um, uh, the conversion between cortisol and cortisone. Um, I'm running currently a hormone program um, and it'll be available even when, you know, the live questioning is done uh, or the live segment of the, of the course is done. People will still be able to join. And we were talking a little bit about cortisone on it. And so many people were like, what's that? What do you mean inactive? <laughs> Tell me about, it. so I, you know, I think that you are a seasoned expert here. Can you explain you know, the inactive form of cortisone uh, to the active form of cortisol, why that happens, maybe preferential tissues where we see this happening as well. The body makes cortisol first. So the adrenal glands uh, pump out cortisol, but then the body's really smart because cortisol in excess can be a bully (laughs) and it can bind to receptors, which are known as aldosterone receptors or mineral corticoid receptors. And it can affect our salt water balance and and it can, screw up some of our tissues and our other receptors. And so the body's like, you know what? You need to simmer down. I'm going to deactivate you when you're a problem to a hormone called cortisone. Now it's very important you don't confuse hydrocortisone cream with cortisone. So hydrocortisone, like the cream, it's a naming thing by pharmaceuticals and it's stupid. Hydrocortisone is actually cortisol. So when you buy hydrocortisone cream, 1%, 2% at the store, that's actually cortisol in cream form, just FYI. Cortisone, no hydro, is the inactive form of cortisol, meaning it cannot bind to receptors. It cannot do the things. It cannot turn them on and cause any kind of damage or destruction or affect glucose or anything. And the reason again for that is protective because if cortisol is bombarding an area of receptors, let's say the kidneys, and what's going to happen when cortisol rushes the kidneys, you can develop hypertension because believe it or not, 
A lot of your blood pressure is monitored by and, and, and accounted for by your kidneys. And so the kidneys are like, enough of this, and it will deactivate to cortisone to protect itself so you don't have any kind of high blood pressure or kidney damage, what have you. Um, other areas that have the ability to turn off cortisol, uh, the saliva glands, um, certain parts of your intestines, your sweat glands, uh, these all can like, whoop, you've got, you've got it. Let's dial you down. And that's what it can do. Now you can reactivate though. It's not a, it's not a one way path. You can be cortisone, which is inactive and you just sit there and then the body can be like, all right, we need you now activate it's, There's an infection or there's a glucose issue or, you know, we need to power up. And so now you can activate back into cortisol and uh, it primarily does it, unfortunately, in our adipose tissue, our fat tissue, um, but we can, in other parts of the adipose uh, and, and in other muscles and, and, and glands and organs that can do it as well. So it's a checks and balances that happens all day long. The primary purpose is to protect you, but you can, things can go awry and you can be a deactivator uh, under certain circumstances, or you can be an activator under certain circumstances. And so that's why it's really helpful. And again, I'm totally biased. I work for the Dutch test, but it's really interesting to see people. I'm a deactivator. I was, ex I was uh, experiencing burnout um, at the end of 2020 into 2021 and all my cortisol was getting deactivated into cortisone. And my body was like, Hey, Carrie, chill out, rest, stop, say no, set boundaries. And I was like, okay, fine. There it was on paper and I had to listen. And so it is nice to know the difference between them. Yeah. And it's, um, I think for women, I'm so happy you said this because I think for women, we did a training inside my Hello Betty membership around boundaries and people were like, but what if someone gets upset with me for setting a boundary? You know, like I, you know, mm -hmm. we're so scared to protect ourselves, mm -hmm. but when you see it on paper, as you said, it's like the hormones, they don't lie. You know, like, <laughs> you know, it's like, girl, you are running yourself into the ground. Yes. Like, please start saying no. And like, you know, I know for those of you that are listening on audio, you can't see Carrie's background, but she has a little sign that says healing happens at joy, mm -hmm. which you know, when you start to set boundaries for yourself, all of a sudden you can get closer to your desires. You can get closer to joy. You can get closer to bliss, mm -hmm. um, which uh, is just really, um, I think so potent. And we can talk about the pathways and we can talk about <laughs> beta hydroxysteroid one and two, yes. and, you know, we can talk about those things, but at the end of the day, it's important for you to understand that your hormones are a reflection in many ways of how your genes and how you are marinating those genes in your lifestyle. Yeah. So as you said, end of 2020, I mean, who can, who else can relate to like having <laughs> a stressful bad year, uh, you know, in 2020. And of course that there was a really big conversation among many physicians around physician burnout mm -hmm. um, and really feeling very called to serve their communities and help, you know, understand and explain the science for people. But of course, um, at the, at the expense of their health. So right. um, let me ask you about um, I'm, I'm focusing this as, as I've said um, around women, how can stress affect a woman's menstrual cycle. So I think that many women, yes. you know, I, you know, I'm always talking, you know, I'm all about cyclical living. Like I want mm -hmm. you to eat for your cycle. I want you to train for your cycle, supplement for your cycle, et cetera. But how can the stress, like this sympathetic dominance or this chronic low grade stress and inflammation. And I say stress and inflammation. It's a, for me, those words are sort of interchangeable with yeah. each other. Yeah. Um, how can this, as it relates to a woman in her reproductive years, including a perimenopausal woman, because she's still technically in her reproductive years. I've had uh, patients who are pregnant at 47, so it's still perimenopause, but you know, still menstruating or still cycling. Um, how can stress negatively affect uh, in, in excess a woman's uh, cycle? The body, the brain is always scanning to make sure uh, as a female that you're safe and healthy enough to have a baby. Now, you may not want a baby at all. It, but that's those of us born with ovaries and uterus. That's the way that the brain feels, functions, surveys every single day. So your hormones are not released like a garden hose. They're not like turn on hose and out comes the hormone in a continuous steady stream. Our hormones are pulsed. And 
the pulse is almost like Morse code because every hormone has a different type of pulse to it. So when you are trying to, uh, let's say, make estrogen or make progesterone, your pulses change. And the pulses from the brain down to the ovaries that make progesterone are bigger. So they're higher in amplitude, but not as often. So big rush, and then it stops and you wait a while and then it does it again. Estrogen's pulses are lower. Um, the, the signal to create estrogen are, are a lot lower and more often. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. Now, what happens with stress, cortisol, inflammation, infection, whatever it is, is when that occurs, the brain goes, oh, I do not feel safe enough and I do not feel healthy enough to have a baby this month. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to alter her pulses. So cortisol, infection, inflammation will start to suppress the pulses. Usually the pulse that gets suppressed first is the high one which is the progesterone, the pulse that creates progesterone. So it starts to drop down and now she doesn't ovulate or she, her cycle is longer or she skips the cycle completely um, or, or she cycles, but it's like super heavy or periods are heavy and her PMS is wretched. And then eventually if it's bad enough and long enough, the pulses that create estrogen start to go down as well. And now she again, skips cycles, doesn't have a cycle. It's a very long cycle because the body is like, this is not a safe place right now. We need to divert resources away from reproduction and put them towards fighting the fight, putting out the fire, healing, recovery, whatever it is. And so it's this interesting pulse diversion that stress causes from the brain down. And it's literally, we need to survive right now. Like that's essentially you yes. move into this like survival mode because being pregnant and, you know, optimizing your fertility like you said, irrespective of whether you want to procreate or not, that is, that is a vital, uh, that is, that is a marker of vitality, right? Yes. Like your fertility is a marker of health for women. Mm -hmm. And I think that when, uh, you are in this survival state, you have all these, like, there's all these feedback loops, as you said, right? Mm -hmm. Progesterone is down. You have the feedback loop that down regulates FSH and LH, which now, you know, you were talking about the pulses around estrogen. So now we're not going to have the development of a follicle or the release of a follicle. Mm -hmm. So we have these anovulatory cycles, as you mentioned, or you have the excessive, like the crazy bleeding. Sometimes we'll see like, you know, very heavy bleeding for women mm -hmm. in, in perimenopause, which can be very scary, right? Or they'll bleed for a really long time because they've had this unchecked um, estrogen relative to, um, to progesterone. It's often called estrogen right. uh, dominance. Um, so what are, what are some of the, and then let me, let me also ask about menopausal women, because, um, I'm, I'm building up to a point here for a menopausal woman. Now she doesn't have a re she doesn't have the, the ovaries have retired, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't have the cycle anymore, but we still have these sex hormones now being produced, albeit, you know, lower levels, way less, around, yeah. way less adrenals, uh, the adipocyte. Mm -hmm. So why is it important for a woman? And I would argue that it's more important as the older that you get to manage your stress. So why is it important for a menopausal woman to also be paying attention to her stress levels as it relates to these hormones? When you are cycling, this is, this is how I view it. So when you're cycling and even into, into perimenopause, your ovaries um, are still a fully functioning gland or at least a partially functioning gland. And they are taking a lot of the pressure off of your other glands to carry their load of the work. So for those of you, you know, maybe in your job, you work with a team. And so everybody on the team plays a role. And if somebody's on the team is not really doing their job or missing or retires or quits, then either you have to pick up the slack or you have to hire for that position. 
in your body, you can't hire for the position. You can't. So once the ovaries do decide to retire, then the adrenal glands are like, where did lefty and righty go? Like <laughs> who is making estrogen and progesterone and what, who's picking up the slack? Nobody's really picking up the slack, which is why the hormones drop so low. So you miss out on all that lovely, robust estrogen and progesterone that was helping so many things way beyond female health, way beyond making a baby. I mean, you, you're, all your immune system cells have estrogen on it. Your estrogen is super critical for your brain, just like progesterone is, your bones, your joints, your skin, your heart, everything. And so now with menopause is those levels drop from way up here to way down here and cortisol and the adrenals and your adrenaline system is like, oh crap, the, we have to, it, we get more, they get more triggered. They get more uh, sensitive. They react more because you don't have the lushness of the estrogen and progesterone to help carry the weight with everything else. And so what I tell women is that when you're going through menopause, it's like reverse puberty. So if you remember every, all the, you know, like crap, took to get you into puberty and you know how awesome that was and now imagine backing out of it and so you need you need your stress health your stress response how you manage stress dialed in at that time because it's a wild ride if you haven't gone through it yet uh, or you're not in it yet and um it in itself can be stressful and then you add the world on top of it you add your family you add your kids you add your job you add the news you add a virus you add a pandemic you add chemicals and toxicants and la 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 on top of and it's just the last drop in the bucket and the bucket overfloweth and you don't feel very good. So I 100% agree with you. I, when women ask me, at what age should I start with stress management? I'm like, yes. Yesterday. Yesterday. The earlier, the better. When it's women when they're 30s, I'm like, start now. I know you are at the height probably of forming, creating maybe families or your job or your entrepreneurship or whatever it is. Um, and you feel like I don't have time for this and I seem to be doing fine and it's totally fine for me to burn the non-toxic candle at both ends. But trust me, if you continue it, it's going to make your 40s and 50s a lot rougher and just like you do, I, and I see it all the time in my patients who slam into perimenopause and menopause as opposed to slide or glide into perimenopause or menopause. Yes, well said. So let's let's move into some common uh, presentations. And I think, you know, we'll get into low cortisol in a moment, but I think for mo where most of us start is excess distress, right? Mm -hmm. So we've, we've been talking about, you know, uh, stress and I, and I know that I have, you know, we haven't really, um, uh, delineated between eustress and distress, you know, short, acute and long and chronic, although we've, mm -hmm. you know, thrown those, uh, terms around, but anything that can be considered a good stress, a eustress, something like fasting, something like exercise, mm -hmm. uh, cold heat, uh, these can also if we don't stop, if we over-exercise, if we aggressively fast, if we, uh, you know, don't regulate our core body temperature, we don't regulate our, um, you know, light viewing behavior, et cetera, et cetera. These can all turn into chronic stressors. And I think what ends up happening is we start to see, you know, we were talking about this diurnal pattern of cortisol being very high. Normally we want it high in the morning and sort of ski sloping off uh, towards the end of the day. Um, and what we, what I would often find um, when I would do the Dutch with my moms is we would almost see like an inverted <laughs> curve. Like it was at three yes. o'clock, like all yes. of a sudden three or four, like time when we pick up the kids, right? It's like yep. time, the cortisol spikes there. The other time we would see it is in the evening. Yeah. I call it so, my mom curve or my entrepreneur curve. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Same curve. <laughs> yeah, same curve. So let, let's talk about, and I, and I thought I was so clever in my book, The Betty Body. I, I said, you know, I was like, I made up some sort of um, almost like a fabricated relationship. I'm like, there's an inverse relationship between sunlight and anxiety because as the sun goes down, you know, I thought yeah. I was being very clever. I think I was the only person who got that joke, but let, let's talk, a, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about um, signs of high stress in the evening? What would you clinically, and of course we're saying this, you're a doctor, you're not everybody's doctor here, but what would be some things that would tip you off 
uh, you know, put on your clinical hat and say, hmm, dysregulated HPA axis uh, for high cortisol uh, levels in the evening? The biggest thing is I can't fall asleep. I can't wind down. Um, as we get into the evening, I, um, I feel wired again, even though I'm tired. So I'm like, I'm wired and tired in the afternoon. Um, my, my, my pulse feels racy or I feel more hypervigilant, uh, sort of on deck, uh, maybe a little anxious. Um, I feel the need to get things done. I feel like now the kids are in bed. Um, I can quick check everything off my list. I can quick get through laundry and email and, you know, watch the show and do the dishes and, 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 and even just describing it to me, you know, the women are a little bit like, <laughs> You know, I'm like, <laughs> yes, okay, yes. <laughs> you know, and you know, they're like, there's not enough hours in the day. And, and so again, and it's the same with entrepreneurs, they're like, well, I put the kids down and then I finally have a few hours free where the house is quiet and I can plow through the emails and I can finish off the ebook and I can launch the thing and I can respond to DMs. And I'm like, okay, okay, I get it as an entrepreneur, but at the same time, you are revving yourself back up into that cortisol state. And, um, and a lot of times people are doing it under bright lights or they have their TV on, which is bright white light. They have the lights on in the house. They're staring at their screen. They're on their, t their phone, the bright white light. And the, the way light plays a huge role in how our cortisol is or isn't produced. And so we have these nifty little genes in our brain. They're called the clock genes, just like the clock on your wall. And they set our circadian rhythm every day. But our circadian rhythm is a little longer than 24 hours. We as humans abide by a 24-hour law, but our circadian rhythm naturally is a tiny bit longer than that. So in order to set and reset our circadian rhythm every day, we need light exposure in the morning and we need darkness at night. That's how we rein ourselves into about 24 hours. And so if you have light at night, you know, your ring lights up, you've got your phone on, you've got your desk light on, what have you, as you're doing your nighttime presentations and whatnot, uh, then it could, especially if you do it night after night after night, a one-off is no big deal, but one night after night, it's going to tell your brain, oh, white light, don't make melatonin, keep that cortisol up, keep that norepinephrine and epinephrine, keep the energy rolling. And then you go to relax and not a lot of people can just flip the switch and go, okay, I'm done now, time to go to bed. And it can be a real problem. So as I start to hear that, go, 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 do, 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 and I can't sleep or fall asleep, stay asleep, um, then I start to think, I bet your cortisol is high at night. I bet you're kind of wound up. Yeah. Yeah. And our melatonin, we know as well, it naturally degrades with age and we need, mm -hmm. part of it is we need estrogen there too, right? We need yeah. estrogen in that pathway to help with the serotonin and eventually mm -hmm. the, the, um, the melatonin synthesis as well. I always, I always, um, hear things I, just exactly what you said, the wired and the tired, they need the coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the belly fat, like I just, no matter what exercise I do, no matter how much I calorically restrict, I have this like persistent belly weight. Um, and I'll also get, um, that they can't, uh, tolerate stress. Like they can't like they're, yeah. um, I, it was funny a couple of years ago, Giovanni was like, you don't like movies, do you? Because I would jump, I would be in my seat and like, we would be watching star Wars, which is not, <laughs> we're not, it's not like a crazy movie, but like somehow Darth Vader would pop out and I would just be like a cat on the ceiling, like shaking. Right. So, you know, for, you know, not being able to tolerate surprise or, mm -hmm. um, you know, being startled, like we're startled very easily. Mm -hmm. So just as a couple of, um, things in your clinical, you know, for the practitioners that listen, I know we have a lot of doctors that, that tune in. What's um, funny is I don't like, I like, I don't like movies because um, I, this is, and this is an issue I'm working through. I always have something to do. So mm. why would I sit down and watch a two hour movie? I have stuff to do. I'm busy. Right. I have things to do. And it's right. taken me a long time to work through that and let that go. So I can sit down and watch a movie and not think to like, not have my computer on my lap or not be thinking through all the things instead of paying attention to the movie. Well, thank you for that honesty. I think yeah. that, you know, there's so many, you are such a well-versed person in terms of your hormone uh, knowledge and, you know, people, so many people follow and, and respect you. And I think it's makes you human girl. Like, you know, makes oh, you I, like I mean, I fully admit, even I'm the medical director of, of a major international hormone lab and I totally have hormone issues. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, I do all the things and I, but I'm not resilient to, or resilient. I'm not, um, 
That's what I'm looking for. I'm not like I can I can get burnout. Like I can totally get PMS. Ask my husband. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's I'm not perfect. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about the flip. So we talked about high evening cortisol. Let's talk we and we touched a little bit on it around when we were talking about autoimmunity and being a counterinflammatory and regulating glucose. But if if someone has low cortisol in the morning, so this is the clin- this is the one that's, you know, they can't like they're bagged, like they just can't mm-hmm. seem to get up, the joint pain. Um and this is where I maybe I want to bridge the adrenal fatigue um, topic with you, because you and I, I think, again, cut from the same cloth, have the same uh, philosophical premise around not, not disregarding a woman's symptoms, but what we do find in, um, I'll call it like pop sciencey culture, right? People will use this word adrenal fatigue to describe a cluster of symptoms that, you know, and you used the appropriate term before you said burnout, you know, end of Mm -hmm. 2020 feeling burnt out. Um, let's talk about what, how this word came into such popular use and let's, and maybe let's help our Bettys understand what, what they're, when they think that they have adrenal fatigue, what is it that, you know, some symptoms that they may be experiencing, what is actually happening? And then we'll move into some solutions from there. There was a book, Adrenal Fatigue in the 21st Century by Dr. Wilson. And it became Uh, a really popular book as he walked through all of the symptoms of adrenal fatigue. Really, he's describing low cortisol. And because of his book, it had been used before then, but his book really propelled it into light. And it's uh, easy to say, it's sexy to say, everyone understands the premise of adrenal fatigue. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so fatigued. That's me. But the idea behind adrenal fatigue at the time was that the adrenals literally fatigued out like the ovaries and menopause. And while there is an autoimmune condition called Addison's disease, and in Addison's disease, you truly do have the inability to make cortisol uh, out of your adrenal glands. If you don't have Addison's, then your adrenal glands are not fatiguing out. The more appropriate literature word is HPA axis dysfunction, but that's long and it's not a cute acronym and it's not sexy and it doesn't really sell books. So adrenal fatigue stuck and that's where we come up with it. The symptoms around the idea of adrenal fatigue are a hundred percent real. I'm not debating that. Nobody's debating that at all. It's the term adrenal fatigue, um, rubbed research and conventional medicine the wrong way because they were like, well, physiologically, that's not really happening. I'm like, you're right. It's not. What really happens is that from the brain down to the mitochondria over time, due to feedback loops, we get this down, down, down of signaling, therefore down, down, down of cortisol production. And people say they feel down. I'm tired. I need a lot of coffee. I'm not motivated. Um, I'm depressed. I, um, I'm inflamed. I hurt. My autoimmune is worse. I feel like my autoimmune is progressing. Um, I, I can't regulate my blood sugar very well. I'm hypoglycemic. I'm hangry. They can't modulate like they're swelling very well. They feel, you know, their water retention, their salt water balance. Um, They crave salt often um, or sometimes even sugar just for that quick pick me up and oftentimes sugar. And so that low cortisol just has everyone feeling burned out and depleted all over the place. I also see that's exactly right. And I also see people will say, you know what? I used to be able to have tomatoes and now I can't, or I used to be able to have onions. And now there's this growing, um, maybe food intolerance is the word I'm looking here. Not necessarily an allergy, but just mm-hmm. there's more gastrointestinal upset, yeah. more GI distress. We'll, yeah. we'll call it. That's probably a better uh, encapsulating term for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we know, cortisol, among lots of things, can degrade the mucus layer in our intestines. And so when you have high cortisol, you consistently, uh, you start to degrade that mucus layer. And that's your buffer layer between all of these things. And then eventually, because you've had high cortisol for so long, you can really thin out that mucus layer, which affects the way that you react to foods. But now you've flipped into a low cortisol uh, situation. And if you're don't know, and you, you don't know how to get that mucus layer back, then you totally struggle with food stuff. Unlike before. Yeah. 
And just one, one last piece, because I saw this like almost every week in the clinic was my um, patients who for some reason were always lawyers. I don't know why, but they always had TBIs. They always had some type of brain, like they, you know, fell down. They worked themselves. It's often like I was working on a case Mm -hmm. and we had a deadline and I was working all hours of the night. And then I passed out. Like they Mm -hmm. passed out from the stress, passed out from lack of sleep, hit their head and then had some type of concussion. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then we see that type of, uh, presentation that you're talking about worsen it because now the brain, you know, and even, even if it's been someone who, you know, injured themselves. I've had a lot of sports injuries that I've cared Mm -hmm. for. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I was wearing a helmet. So it's like, but yes, but the brain is like an egg in water. So if you had a Mason jar and put egg in with water, and then you wrapped up that Mason jar with bubble wrap, let's Mm -hmm. say, and shook it around, right? The egg is still going to smash around, right? So the helmet does, it protects the, you know, the mason jar or the analog would be the skull, right? So the helmet is really important for the bony protection. It doesn't do so much for the soft matter, right? It isn't mm-hmm. so much for the organ. And I would often see like they would, and then they would always re, and then they would all, if they didn't wait long enough, and it's always my type A lawyers who couldn't mm-hmm. wait to get back into the office, had to, you know, go to the gym, push themselves, and then they, yeah. you know, dropped a weight or something on them. So that's another another, um, another, and yeah, the, the same for speaking of brain sleep apnea, you're right. My severe sleep apnea, um, my mouth breathers, disordered breathing, um, much different sort of mechanism, but much like a brain injury or concussion or what have you, you, when you alter any kind of oxygenation to the brain, you're going to alter your ability to make any kind of signal. And that includes down to make cortisol. So my severe sleep apnea folks or not even severe. You don't have to be severe. Uh, that lack of oxygenation to the brain plays mm-hmm. a major problem. So if you're a snorer, yeah. if somebody's told you you snore, take it seriously. It is affecting everything from the brain down. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Let's talk about solutions. We have pre-framed with, we've talked about <laughs> awesome science and like always, you know, I'm being mindful of the time because I want to make sure, but I could just speak to you forever. I, <laughs> Likewise. It's just so lovely to just live closer. To, yeah. I just, would you just move? Stupid closer? borders. Yeah. No, not, yeah. you come here. <laughs> Actually, I've seen where you walk your dog. It's I, I would, I would move. I would move to where you are. I would move to where you are. Uh, so a couple of common things that we see in perimenopause, moving into menopause, mm-hmm. uh, um, and we're going to wrap this in the cortisol bubble, but I want to speak to your expertise in terms of lifestyle modifications uh, that could be movement, that could be nutrition, that could be supplement, anywhere you want to go with it, I'll follow. Let's talk about sleep. So we've, ta- we've like dabbled a little bit. We've talked about GABA, talking about anovulatory cycles and the progesterone. How can a, a woman in uh, perimenopause or menopause or any, you know, you could be 32 and being like, I need some, I could, I could you yeah. know, up level my sleep a little bit. How can we help support um, getting a restful, restorative sleep? First thing are the basics. So hopefully by now you realize that you're going to either wear blue light blocking glasses and adjust what you're doing at night before bed, at least If you have to do work at night, at least give yourself an hour of wind down time uh, too would be great, but I understand that's not always possible. So getting off the TV, the the computer, the phone, what have you, uh, not having every single light on in the house, don't use an e-reader, go back to uh, old school books at night and flip because um, that alone can make a huge difference in the circadian rhythm. Be mindful of what you eat at night, how late you're eating at night. If you think you're using that glass of wine to wind down at night, but yet you struggle with sleep issues, it's probably not doing your sleep, your liver, your hormones, your detoxification any good. Um, And also be mindful of what is in your room at night. And so I know it can be hard with moms, whether moms of kids, moms of dogs, moms of cats, you know, that you're like, well, the kids always come in or we co-sleep or I have two dogs in the bed and, you know, they snore and keep me up. It's your sleep. And I understand my, my dog is family and obviously we don't want to kick out the kids per se, but it is still your sleep and doing what you can to set a few boundaries and create maybe some new rules around the sleeping uh, situation. Uh, can make, can be a huge difference. And then consider things like mouth taping. If you realize you're a mouth breather, if you've been told you snore, um, 
buying mouth tape, you can buy surgical tape. It doesn't have to be expensive, although there are companies that have specific mouth taping for, for nighttime and um, help keep your mouth shut so that you breathe through your nose instead of through your mouth or get evaluated. Talk to your, talk to your GP about getting evaluated for sleep apnea. So like the, like the basics you have to set because no supplement in the world is going to uh, support sleep unless you've, you've got the basics down. And, but speaking of supplements, I'll say my, when you, when you don't make progesterone, but if you don't ovulate or you don't make a lot of progesterone, um, then sleep can really suck because progesterone is calming, it's soothing, it's relaxing because of its support with GABA. And so for some women, as it applies, you know, progesterone supplementation might be the route for her. If not, one of my favorite over-the-counter is holy basil or Tulsi, which is T-U-L-S-I, Tulsi. Tulsi tea is sold pretty much everywhere. I drink Tulsi tea every single night before bed. Even when I travel, I take it with me and drink it in hotels um, because it's just calming. It's relaxing. It's not necessarily sleep inducing. Um, it just sort of brings you down a level. So if you have been worked up all day, Tulsi is really nice to bring it down. Of course, there are things like chamomile, lavender, skullcap, um, there's uh, L-theanine, which is kind of an amino acid, mm-hmm. glycine, which is an amino acid. So there are great, uh, generally considered safe herbs and products on the market. Magnesium, I, other, I, I, do, I, I should say I take magnesium glycinate every single night and I, take, I drink holy basil tea every single night to help um, with sleep. But there are some really great options on the market. That's great. What about blood sugar? That's one of the things we start to see. Yeah. You know, you had mentioned it with like the wine to wind down these little, you know, we have these little snacks in the evening potentially, Mm -hmm. but just a general trend that we see as we move through our perimenopausal years and into menopause is more of an insulin insensitivity. So are there ways that we can improve our insulin sensitivity and our blood regulation issues? One of the things that has been shown to be helpful. And now if you're doing intermittent fasting, but you're not sleeping, you can definitely try having like a little bit of uh, healthy fat um, or healthy fat and protein before bed to help stabilize your blood sugar. And so, you know, I have, have had people who've done a teaspoon of a nut butter or they've done um, like a hard boiled egg or they've, I even have somebody who does like a little bit of butter, uh, organic grass-fed butter uh, before bed. And it's helped with their, um, is, if blood sugar dips down too low in the night, then you will wake up because it's like, let's not die. So the body's like, whoa, wake up, make some cortisol so that we can get a little more glucose in your system. And so sometimes that uh, intermittent fasting or full-on fasting and you're not sleeping, that could be uh, one of the reasons. But on the flip side, if you are getting high glucose in the day, because you're eating not, you know, like sort of carbs and you're eating, um, sugar and, you know, all the, all the standard Western diet stuff that, you know, is triggering your, your glucose, it then triggers your insulin. And now you get a drop in glucose. That's very quick. So if you think about what you eat for dinner, um, and making sure that you're getting healthy fats, healthy protein, vegetables, you know, complex carbs, if you're doing them, um, and keeping that balance for your blood sugar. So you don't get the spike in glucose, get the spike in insulin, and then get the drop. And now you're hypoglycemic you're searching for snacks, you go to bed and your body's like, no, wake up. You have to eat because you plummeted just a little bit ago. Wonderful. And then what about through the day? Like if you have somebody who, one of the things I've often um, talked about, and this is maybe a little bit of the opposite of what you just mentioned is to bring that blood glucose level lower. Um, So things like berberine, supplementing with berberine as a, you know, pre-prandial or before the meal, uh, you know, you, and even if you know, even even though I'm not recommending this as a strategy, maybe, you know, that there's going to be a bit more of a carby meal coming up. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can take a little bit of berberine to help augment or to, you know, attenuate that post-prandial Momardica is another one um, that's been shown to be helpful. Cinnamon. Cinnamon is one of my favorites. Right. One of my favorite um, spices uh, because that's been shown to be helpful for, for blood sugar as well. And so adding cinnamon um, to your food, like especially like, you know, if you eat, if your breakfast food is on the sweeter carby side, you know, cinnamon can be helpful there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about when we think about optimizing? So last question here around optimizing for mitochondria. 
Um, you know, we started off talking at the top of the hour, talking about how mitochondria is so important for our sympathetic system, in particular, the manufacturing of cortisol. Mm-hmm. What are some stra- I mean, there's going to be a lot of overlap, of course, in terms <laughs> of it's like, well, yes. you got to sleep and yes. <laughs> you got to move and you got, but what yep. are, you know, maybe some supplementation recommendations that are specific to mitochondrial health and, and it's- I just did right just prior to this, um, I recorded an hour long webinar on the mitochondria for um, a group that I'm, I'm lecturing with. And even an hour wasn't enough to talk about all the things mitochondria. So I'll say this, the mitochondria are, um, they're high maintenance, they react to everything. And so all the traditional bad things, chemicals, toxicants, medications, lack of movement, stagnant, poor sleep, smoking, alcohol, all those things that we know we know is full grown adults, probably not the greatest, our mitochondria really don't like them. So the more you can do to avoid chemicals, read labels, be mindful of what you're putting in your body, um, getting the sleep, doing the movement, you know, getting uh, the light exposure, uh, being out in the sun for a little bit, all those things are really, really helpful for the mitochondria. But your mitochondria are very uh, sensitive to what are called free radicals or, or uh, in particular reactive oxygen species, which are these little molecules that act like mini fires throughout the mitochondria. And you have an, you have an antioxidant system that can swoop in like, you know, well, in my, in my analogy, they're, you know, hot men on a fire truck. Uh, your analogy may be different. <laughs> no, so, no, they're hot right. men on a fire truck. Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, <Gio. Yes. laughs> so the hot men in the fire truck come in and they put the fires out and that's an, it's a natural balance in your body. And it's like, it goes with hormesis. We want to grow and expand and stretch and make our mitochondria resilient. The problem is just like anywhere else in the world, when the fire overcomes the fire trucks, we have a problem, things burn down. So this is where our anti-boosting, supporting, loving our antioxidants become helpful. So uh, some important cofactors are like zinc and copper. Uh, CoQ10 is really important. Vitamin C, vitamin E, lipoic acid, green tea, Flavonoids or flavonoids, like in our in our berries, in our in our colorful vegetables, um, are are really really important. Um, red light therapy, near infrared light therapy, uh, cold exposure. So those of you who like cold showers and cold plunges, um, and even if I, you don't like them, yeah. and even if you don't like, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Sorry, even if you don't like them, <laughs> which is me, which I hate them, but I still do them. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, those it's it's exercise. Exercise absolutely builds. Our mitochondria. And so fasting and intermittent fasting. Um, so it's a, again, it's a lot of overlap, but your mitochondria, um, the cool thing about your mitochondria is you, it's, they're, they're really intelligent. They've been around for billions of years. So they've had a lot of, as I joke, they've had a lot of 29 again birthdays uh, to be around for billions of years. And um, it, they, they're intelligent in that if a mitochondria is not functioning well, it's inc- it's totally malfunctioning, it's not doing its job, then it's almost like the colony gets together and they're like, oh, sorry, you have to go because a, mi- a malfunctioning mitochondria actually does worse for the system. So that's called mitophagy, which is the killing off, you know, the, put it out to pasture, if you will, um, the the bad mitochondria. And so all these things, exercise, intermittent fasting, cold exposure, help out with the old so we can in with the new. And the in with the new is either we create or what's called biogenesis, which is where two mitochondria that are not fully functioning, but if they came together, they'd be a hundred percent or more come together. And so again, it's all those same cold exposure, sleep, exercise, intermittent fasting, flavonoids, antioxidants, what have you, chocolate, dark chocolate, uh, can help that experience of the mitochondria merging together and being like the incredible Hulk, like incredible She-Hulk. She-Hulk, yeah. You get them from your mama. We'll make them She-Hulk. You get them from your mama. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, They are maternal. They are maternal. And what about NAC and uh, and NSE? Glutathione. uh, glutathione. Yes. Glutathione. So in the mitochondria, one of your very first steps to get rid of um, these fires, um, is something called superoxide dismutase, SOD. And what, if, if it slips, if it, um, once SOD does its job, then it, you need a secondary fire truck to put out the fire after that. And glutathione is one of the big ones that, that does it there. It neutralizes one of your fires called hydrogen peroxide, just like the hydrogen peroxide you probably have in your, um, 
cabinet, your bathroom cabinet, we have hydrogen peroxide that gets formed in our body. So glutathione is a really great neutralizer of that and real potent antioxidant. The problem is glutathione requires B vitamins, specifically B2 and B3 and selenium to do its job, but it also requires B6 and things like cysteine and glycine to make it in the first place. And so instead of taking, instead of everyone like writing down everything I'm saying and taking tons of supplements, it starts with what, what do you eat? Like, do you get these things in? Do you get enough of, um, you know, the protein and the amino acids and the, the co-nutrients in? And not only do you get them in, but do you chew your food and can you absorb your food? Like what's going on in your gut in the first place? Uh, because you could be taking all the supplements you want, but if your gut is just, isn't going to absorb them, it's not going to be helpful. So the, the cheap, easy, free, and tactical way to, is to start with what you eat and then how you eat it, what's going on with your gut, and then move into the supplementation mm-hmm. as a nice like bolster of our hot firemen on fire trucks. I love it. And I always say like out of an abundance of caution, have two to five like Brazil nuts, you know, like the selenium. heavyweight champs, right? Of, yeah. uh, of selenium. Uh, to help those hot firemen. Well, this, I mean, we are going to, we are recording this live in front, uh, inside our Hello Betty (laughs) HBHQ, as I like to call them. And we're going to, we're going to take some questions now. So for the podcast, we're going to stop recording now, um, but we're going to move into some questions. But before we do, I just, you know, it's just so this is on the podcast uh, recording and just so the whole world knows how much I respect and love you. Thank you so much, because this was such an incredible conversation. I, you know, I just love getting, getting you to nerd out. Like once you start to get going, I was like, oh, she's going with the hydrogen peroxide. We're going to go there. I love it. You know, like, Mm -hmm. it's just so lovely. Um, It's so lovely to jam with you. So thank you uh, for coming back on and thank you for being, um, you are going to be the show. We're going to release this like the, the week that we cross um, a million. So thank you very much. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for you. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course, it's a total honor. I adore everything about you. So this is wonderful. Awesome. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. 